Hey there, welcome to the Love to Learn podcast. My name is Laura, I'll be your host. At Love to Learn, you can expect to hear from passionate educators who are dedicated to the art and craft of teaching. You'll hear from teachers in the trenches, instructional coaches, administrators, and innovators and experts in the field of education. Teaching is one of the most difficult and rewarding professions on the planet. It's my hope that through our shared stories, you'll come away inspired and refreshed because every day is a great day to learn something new. Hey there. Welcome to today's episode of the Love to Learn podcast. For this episode, I am actually for the first time interviewing someone that I have not met in person. Um, I'm going to interview Sarah Molnarek. Sarah is a media specialist in the same school district where I teach. However, we are not located at the same building. So this is kind of a fun one since we haven't met in person. So I'll kind of get to know Sarah as you do as the listeners. And Sarah, before we start, I don't know if I actually told you how I figured out that you are someone that I wanted to interview for this particular topic, which is all about creating maker spaces in schools. And the way that I kind of discovered you, so to speak, is I was really interested in exploring that concept possibly for my school. And I did a Google search to see if there were any maker spaces in schools in our area. And I believe that you were interviewed uh, at some point. Um, I don't remember what it was for. You can probably tell us about that. But I found you that way and realized that you were at a school that's actually located pretty close to mine. So, Sarah, I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll go from there. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much, Laura. I um, have been in education for 17 years and started out as a history and English teacher, and that was in the high school level. So I um, spent 12 years doing that and loved what I did, but my passion has always been books and libraries. And so I made the transition four years ago to come to the Bellevue Public School District and work as an elementary librarian, which was a huge shift for me. Um, I went from teaching almost only high school boys to uh, a pre-K six building. And as a librarian, I loved everything I got to do with literature. And so that's been a lot of fun and talking to kids about books. Now this year I've made a transition again and um, am over at Lewis and Clark Middle School in Bellevue, Nebraska. And so now I'm checking off my list and I will, I can now say I've taught everything from pre-K to 12th grade. That's wonderful. It's kind of crazy. Love it. Well, do you want to go ahead and tell us um, a little bit about, you said that you were formerly a history teacher mm-hmm. and you um, then moved down to the elementary level. Did you have to then go back, I'm assuming, and take some more classes to get that certification? Sure. Um, my undergrad background is 712 English and History Education. And when I started teaching history, I wanted to be better at that. So I have a master's degree in history. And then when I knew I wanted to be a librarian, which was a few years before I even started, um, I started taking classes for that too. So my um, library media endorsement is what it is. Since I already had a master's degree, I didn't need to get another master's. Uh, 
so that saved, you know, six hours or something like that. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Just a tiny bit of schooling I got to skip out on. So I, I, I finished that before I actually started um, looking for library jobs. Okay. All right. Well, that was a wise way to plan ahead, it sounds like. And it sounds like it gives you just such such a breadth and depth both of knowledge that can serve you well, I would think, in your role as a media specialist, for it, sure. It definitely uh, it makes me feel like I, I come from a, a teaching background, so I know what the teachers are going through. And um, it's fun when I can get my hands into projects, especially in the history and English classrooms. Those are my favorite ones. That sounds great. Well, I'm going to go ahead and kind of start with kind of how I usually start on an interview on the podcast, which is by asking my interviewee to talk about what I call the P's and Q's. And you've shared a little bit of this already, but this is where I'd like for you to share something that you you would like to share about yourself personally, something else maybe that you haven't already shared about yourself professionally and something that you are passionate about. And then the Q part is where I will ask you some questions in response to what you share. Okay. Personally, I have two daughters. They are eight years old and four years old. They are my daily entertainment. My husband and I um, typically have good conversations at the end of the day about, oh, did you hear so-and-so say this? And um, they're a lot of fun. They've already picked out their Halloween costumes. One is going to be a snow leopard and the other is going to be a unicorn. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, the unicorn is particularly cute. That's the four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. That sounds so cute. Yeah. Um, professionally, something... Um, oh, I hate when I go blank. Um, I've done some travel for work, which is kind of cool. Um, in one of my previous jobs, there was an opportunity to attend these leadership institutes and um, we don't always think about teaching as being an opportunity to travel, but I went to um, these different workshops in New Orleans and in California and in Chicago, and over a three-year span did like 30 days of leadership training, which was just wow. an incredible um, experience that I got to have. It sounds like it. Now, that, that was in a different school district, yes. correct? Yes, yes. That was when I was working for um, Creighton Preparatory School here in Omaha, which is a part of uh, a Jesuit high school network. So it was okay. bringing in people from all over the country that worked at different Jesuit high schools. It was a really incredible opportunity. It sounds like it. That might be a topic for a future podcast because <laughs> I love to talk about educational leadership. Yeah, it, it, was, it was an awesome experience. And then passionate, um, to explain what I'm passionate about, you just have to kind of look at my car which um, even though I swore up and down I would never drive a minivan, <laughs> I have one because the sliding doors are the best thing ever. Um, but the they back really of, are. They, they really, really are. Really are. <laughs> I, will, I have got to agree with that. Yep. But the back of my van, uh, it has two, two like magnets on it. Uh, one is, says meow, and my daughters and I picked it out because we have two cats. And we knew the sticker would drive my husband crazy because um, we're pretty passionate about our cats to the point of being kind of three crazy cat ladies. And uh, the other sticker on my car says read. So 
I found that one and I thought my car can say meow and read at the same time. <laughs> That's wonderful. We we are all I think um, little teacher nerds in our own ways. All of <laughs> all of us educator people. Absolutely. And I say that we need to fly that flag proudly. So yeah. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, let's just dive into today's topic, which is maker spaces and maker spaces. I don't know if there's really a definitive, you know, definition of them or not. I mean, I kind of know what I think of as a makerspace, but I am going to defer to what I know is your expertise over my knowledge. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can you just elaborate a little bit about what a makerspace can include, um, the settings where people might find a makerspace and truly anything you want to share about that concept? Okay. Well, I kind of came into the idea of makerspace um, because I was just reading. You know, that's what we do as educators is try to find things that are interesting in reading. And I was reading an article about a middle school library that really recreated itself by changing from being a place where sometimes people came in to pick out a book to being a place where people gathered to create and learn together. And in the article I was reading, it was much more tech-savvy than anything I started envisioning. But what it really pushed me to think about was, um, what is a a library space for? Mm -hmm. And how do I, as a 21st century librarian, need to respond to that? And that's where I kind of really got pushed into reading and learning more. So from my observations and um, reading, I would say makerspace is just any time people get together and create. And that's really, really broad. Um, I lucked out when I started my makerspace at Two Springs that I actually had a physical space available to me. Uh, in, in that library, there's this little room that was originally set up to be a computer lab within the library. And by the time I got on the scene, it was being used as a speech classroom and no longer a part of the library space. Um, when some things changed in my building and the space was open, it challenged me to think about what could that space be? And with everything I had been reading about makerspaces, I really saw this the room becoming an important part of my vision of creation Um, but in no way shape or form should you think it has to be in a space because um, i think that you can pile up all your equipment and put it on carts and move it to wherever the kids are and create a maker space Um, it's nice to have a place to store it all (laughs) of course but um, that doesn't have to be a part of the vision Um, I think if you look at people who have created makerspaces, there's everything from very high-tech makerspaces. I went to um, University of Nebraska at Lincoln has what's called Innovation Campus, and they have um, a really incredible lab area um, that community members as well as students at UNL can join, and their um, lab has all kinds of equipment for woodworking and 
um, building, it has 3D printing, it had a screen printing shop so like you could go in and design your own t-shirts and print them there. It had people making furniture, um, it had a gigantic machine for quilting. So like people who wanted to design, like usually when you quilt there's like preset designs you can put on top of them. This was you come in with your own vision of what you want the design on top of the quilt to be, and you could program this machine to do it. Oh and my goodness, it that's was, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and so like that was incredible. I mean, it was huge and it was big, and I mean, that's kind of one side of things. And then, you know, some of it is about having some Legos and having some uh, building toys and letting kids use their minds and their hands to create. So what you can include really I think depends on who your audience is, you know, what group are you trying to reach, right. uh, what your resources are. Um, scavenging is a great tool for <laughs> a makerspace creator and um, yeah, I, I don't know, that is a big answer to that starting question. No, I think it's a wonderful answer to it. There are a couple of things that just kind of captured me that you said. One of the things I really love is that idea of just it being any any place that people gather to create collectively or together. I love that. And, and I love the idea of uh, the point that you made about not getting so tied into the fact that it has to be a designated mm -hmm. permanent fixed space that it it's it's any space that you are creating in together and so the materials can be portable right. um all of that i love those points and I also loved your point about um scavenging because a couple <laughs> years ago and you you I most likely have heard of this i'm thinking but maybe not um i came across a video uh, called Kane's Arcade. Are you familiar with Kane's Arcade? Uh-uh. Oh, goodness. You're going to have to Google it. I will. <laughs> it I is, will do that. It is fantastic. <laughs> okay. So Kane's Arcade. Kane was a little guy that lived in California, or live, lives, I believe, still. But he had, someone had made kind of a documentary about this kid because he uh, lived with his dad, and his dad sold auto parts kind of on this the side of a road, um, not even in a strip mall or anything that I recall. Anyway, so Kane was there almost all day every day with his dad in the summer, and just to entertain himself, he would go and get the cardboard boxes that were left over from all the parts, and he made his own arcade with all of these little games completely out of salvaged cardboard, and the guy that ended up making the documentary, which has become this huge movement okay the guy that he just happened to go to the to go to Kane's dad's store for an auto part and saw this kid with this cardboard arcade who was trying to get customers to spend a quarter <laughs> to play his cardboard arcade games and it. so the guy just absolutely was enthralled with this kid's ingenuity right. and creativity and so he organized, it was almost like the concept of a flash mob, so to speak, but he organized 
through social media, all of these people that were friends of his to show up at Kane's Arcade as a surprise for this kid. And then he secretly filmed it. And it is awesome. I will so be Googling that tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You will love it. And so I have always, my youngest child is very creative. And anytime we had an empty cardboard box, he would make something out of it. And so... I just love the idea, even though I do want to talk to you about some of the the things that you have incorporated into your space and things that could be on someone's wish list. I do love making that point that it doesn't have to start out as something really big and technologically fancy or expensive. It can be cardboard and duct tape. I will tell you that um, when I started, I had $250. I had applied for a grant. Mm-hmm. And uh, $250 was the limit that you could apply to without them having to have like some kind of special approval. So I'm like, okay, let's start with $250. I ordered Legos and I mm-hmm. ordered some craft supplies and I ordered some snap circuits and oh, there must, oh, and connects. And that's mm, what I started yeah. with. And then um, as you know, I started with that. It was very little. I started with, uh, and I scavenged. So I had a, I had a really, really great supply of totally bizarre things like random pieces <laughs> of foil, little wood things, lots of tubes, like not toilet paper tubes, but kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was how the room opened at Two Springs was just with those few things. It was enough that I could set up a couple stations. And then, um, I used my book fair profits um, to buy a whole bunch of stuff. I took part of my profit as uh, scholastic dollars and part of my profit as cash. I'd had a really good book sale, so I had a lot of money, and I spent it all to buy, to buy more things for the makerspace. Um, and then I hit the jackpot and got a Bellevue Public Schools Foundation grant, which is where we were able to bring in so much more stuff. So, um, cool things that we would have in our, that I had at this makerspace and I'll, then I could talk a little bit about my current one too. Uh, but at two springs, Definitely. I, yeah, at two springs, we had, a, um, we'd had a lot of financial support from our PTA. So we had a whole bunch of dash and dot robots, which are fantastic for kids to work on, um, playing with coding and pro and you know figuring out how things move um sometimes the kids would just play cops and robbers with the robots and i would let them do that um because they were learning how they moved and what they could do um lots of building sets kids just love to have things in their hands and build so we did use a lot of connects a lot of legos um which um, I don't, there's different brands of those, but they love those just to see how they feel and how they flip and what they can turn them into. Um, We had a lot of, we had circuitry stuff. So we had snap circuits and little bits, um, an Edison kit and a Tesla kit, which were some cool ones. Um, Little bit, oh, Makey Makey. Uh, oh, yeah, yes. I just discovered that. That sounds so cool. It is very fun. Um, gosh, those were a lot of the electronic things. Mm-hmm. We had um, coloring and crafting supplies. Um, I had one station where kids could just color a bookmark, like, you know, the fancy detailed coloring. And they love that. Like some of them, for them, that was the creating they needed that day. Um, 
we had poetry, magnetic poetry. Um, I had a lot of fun with magnetic poetry, like just throwing out words and like letting kids have dialogue with that. Like, you know, someone would put something up, someone else could put a line up. Um, so I had several different magnetic poetry sets that they, they really um, enjoyed. And I feel like, oh, I also bought some drones because I had really tall ceilings. Um, that was really cool. It was also a little dangerous. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the drones might have crashed into the books one or two times. Um, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then um, through my Scholastic dollars, I was able to purchase, they sold a whole bunch of these little kits that the kids had to follow the directions of how to build them, but they could be taken apart and rebuilt. So they were all like little robots or um, a little electronic piano and the kids could take time and build them and then take them apart for someone else to build, which for me, that reuse was um, uh -huh, a real definitely. nice factor. Mm -hmm. Well, before you talk a little bit about your makerspace at the middle school, I wanted to ask you, because I know that this will be a question that a lot of people would have, mm -hmm. and that is, how do you, how did you or how do you incorporate the use of the makerspace into your library immediate time with the students? Because of course you you would want to have that balance, I would right. guess, still. And, you know, how is that space utilized during your your class time? Or is it also after school? Or how did you do that? Good question. I worked a lot on this. And probably by the end of the school year, felt like I was in a good spot. Um, there were some kids I worked with in small groups based on open times in my schedule and arrangements made within our building so that I had a couple of grade levels where I pulled consistent groups of kids in. These were um, primarily high ability learners mm -hmm. uh, in some of the younger grades that didn't have time with our high ability learning teacher. And so I was kind of helping to fill their, their need. Um, but on top of the groups I pulled, I had created a schedule that teachers could send um, four to six kids in at a time. And the way that the Two Springs Library was set up, I could teach media classes and see what the kids were doing inside the makerspace room because it had windows. Oh, and perfect. So as you know, I had to talk to the right people, you know, make sure supervisory, you know, everyone was covered, sure. but we felt comfortable that I could see what those kids were doing and I could instruct and check out books and all of those good things. So I had it set up where throughout the day, teachers could sign up a spot and send their kids. And it was, you know, I think maybe, you know, every once in a while I'd kind of look over and tell them to be quiet and they would know that they needed to be. <laughs> uh, but they, but it worked out really well. Um, so there was kind of a blend of things. There were times where kids were in there by themselves, but I was watching. There were times when I was in there with the kids and kind of guiding um, them through some of the things. And then I also, I think, I, I don't know how often I did it, um, I have makerspace days in library. So on those days, I would bring out all of the stuff mm -hmm. and um, set up stations in the library and rotate so that the kids got to do two or three different stations. And uh, so I, I tried to bring it in when I could, but I don't feel like I ever sacrificed 
um, important library media instruction. Right. Maybe. It sounds it sounds like you found out found a really good way to have a variety of ways that kids could interact with those materials right. and how it didn't detract from your ability to go ahead and work with them in media and give right. them that instruction and experience that they needed. So yeah, thank you for sharing because I, I was wondering, I was trying to envision that since that's not something that has, you know, has been an option in any right. of the schools that I have taught in so far. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about at the middle school level, anything that that's different or how that's, how that's used at that level. And did you start it at the school you're at or was it already there when you came in? It was actually uh, already started when I came in and, um, through a very similar way. Um, the previous librarian had applied for a Bellevue Public Schools Foundation grant and was given it, and that was what was her startup money. Um, the su- supplies are a little bit different. Um, we have some similar things. Oh, I guess, gosh, some of them that I say, I'm like, oh yeah, we had that at Two Springs too, like Spheros and, <laughs> and some other cool electronic tools. Um, she did more with breakout EDU boxes and trying to have those available within the building, um, but still Legos, snap circuits, craft mm-hmm. supplies. Um, she did an order that, um, this will tell you how busy I've been here at the middle school. I have a 3D printer that is not opened yet. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty yeah. busy then. <laughs> yeah. So I have this 3D printer box that the previous librarian ordered. Um, and we're going to open it up at some point and start seeing what we can do with kids um, on that level. So definitely some different supplies. I would not probably have been ready to do 3D printing in elementary, although I think they're more than capable. I wasn't prepared <laughs> uh, to try to manage that um, on top of my teaching schedule. But um I'm looking forward to to trying out some different things. With the middle school, I'm still kind of figuring things out in terms of scheduling. Um, I've done a couple just teeny tiny little things at our end of the day period that's kind of like a study hall. Um, But some of the things that we have, um, I'm going to open up and start offering some before school sessions and maybe... um, maybe some after school sessions too, just to get kids able to see what we have and for teachers to see what we have. Cause a lot of what we have can be incorporated into their learning. Um, it didn't talk much about this before, but we also have a, a green screen room at Lewis and Clark. And we had set up a pretty similar thing at Two Springs too. And letting kids create that way to me is a makerspace thing too. Like letting them film themselves and play with that you know, such a great thing to, to mess around with. It really, really is. And I just think, I just think this is so wonderful for so many reasons, just the learning, the creativity, um, encouraging self-direction in kids and getting them to imagine. And I love that it's so hands-on because I do think even outside of school, I just really wonder how much time and access kids really have these days to actually creating things with their hands. And I, I feel like not, not very much. I mean, because I've, I've observed in school settings when they have that time to create, 
in a situation that's not directed by adults and the materials and the resources, they absolutely blow my mind with what they do. It's just amazing. Absolutely. If I can, I'll tell you about my favorite thing that, that I did with some kids last year. I had this great group of third grade kids. I had been with them since kindergarten and they'd been coming to me for various things, for reading groups, you know, just anything to challenge them. And so they were kind of my, my group to just try anything with. And they loved if I gave them a challenge. And um, so we just did simple things with, the first challenge was, you know, who can get their marble down the slide the fastest? And it had to be at least a certain height. Um, they loved it and they played and they tested and they tried and I just had all these really random materials including one group used a xylophone as part of of their project which was really great because then the marble would make this lovely little noise (laughs) as it as it went down and then they finished it and they're like well now what I'm like okay let's see who can get it to go the slowest and that took you know they just took off on that um and they were the same group that we did a a challenge that i found online and it was a a, called a brown bag challenge and it had just a list of objects put it in a brown bag and um you're supposed to see who could build something that would make their cotton ball fly the furthest and you know so i'm assuming everyone's going to build a slingshot of some kind and a lot of them a lot of them did but I had one pair who built a bow and arrow, and they made the tip of the arrow the cotton ball. So that when they launched their device, their arrow like flew across the library. And I'm like, I didn't say you couldn't do that, you know? We didn't, it, it just amazed me that if you just let them create, that they would come up with really great ideas, drawing on their own prior knowledge, but also really being experimenters. And what I loved about those opportunities was how engaged the students were, how how um, increased their listening was. I mean, I've watched kids work in groups and kids are kind of like, uh-huh, yeah, okay, what's the answer to that? And they write it down. But this was really a lot of give and take where, okay, let me explain to you what my idea is. And okay, I'm going to tell you how I think we could make that better. And the learning that happens there isn't just we made ours go the furthest. They learned how to work together. And that right. is a skill that I see more and more kids need to know how to work with other people. They do. And just framing it in that context of giving them a really exciting, really meaningful, purposeful challenge just kind of sets the stage for that that skill, those skills of building relationships and cooperation. It kind of sets the stage for that to flourish in such a great, positive way, I think. I agree. That's great. That is, I love it. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I just, I absolutely love project-based learning and giving kids those challenges. I just, I wish that all day, every day they could be doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. And actually, um, that, that does kind of 
prompt me to pick your brain about something that I guess I didn't really throw that in for the questions that I kind of indicated that we would talk about, but it does get me thinking about, so you've been able to incorporate this into your library and your media space and time. What about, or what are your thoughts about how a classroom teacher could incorporate some of this into their classroom? Because I think you and I both know so well that in our current climate of education, you know, there's there's curriculum and there's pacing guides and there's testing and there's assessments and all of this that the teachers just feel, I feel like they do feel kind of burdened by that and limited sometimes in terms of feeling like they even have time, even though they would want to do some of these great things. So what are your thoughts about how could a teacher explore this a little bit in a way that doesn't doesn't require giving up what they have to, what they're accountable to, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, the first thing I would say is, and you'll probably echo me on this, is find the people in your building who can help you do it. There are people in school buildings who can help classroom teachers, librarians, instructional coaches. Right, (laughs) right, right, right. yeah. (laughs) So I think one thing is to not have a classroom teacher think, I've got to figure out how to do this on my own, but instead to say, okay, there are people with, with different sets of skills who can help me figure out how to do this. And that is what I'm a big, big proponent of. Um, sometimes I would just show things to teachers to say, this is here. What do you think when you see this? And if I didn't take it to them, they weren't going to know that they could incorporate it. So for example, every time I think of something, I think of something else I bought. I did a lot of shopping. Um, I bought stick bots. Have you ever heard of those? No, I have not. Okay, it's like um, there are these little plastic dudes that are just a couple inches tall with suction cups on their hands and feet. Mm -hmm. And they come with just this cardboard box that's a mini green screen. And then you can film your stick bots on your device, which we, we were primarily using iPads for this and film the stick bots doing something and then use it in your green screen app and drop down a background and record sound and put different words on the screen. And so I showed it to a first grade teacher who loved to experiment. And I said, hey, have you ever seen this? She's like, that's really cool. And she came up with a use for it in her classroom. And then a second grade teacher saw them and said, I wanna try that. And she incorporated it into a literacy lesson. They were doing Jack and the Beanstalk type stories. And all it took was just seeing something. So I think if you can talk, if if a classroom teacher wants to spark that creativity in, in his or her students, go see your librarian, go see your instructional coach and say, what ideas do you have? And, and let them support the classroom teacher. Because that's yeah. what we're there for. <laughs> You're right. You're right. That is a, that's a great example. And it, I couldn't help but think when you were talking about how just by introducing um, the stick bots, so a material 
or a, a resource that that then sparked the imagination of those teachers to think about what they could do. So what I love about that is it just makes me think of what we were just talking about with kids, that when you give them the resources and they see what's available and then you let them go, they run with it. And that's also true of our teachers. And so Absolutely. what a great point to make that it's just showing them what's available because they they will blow our minds just like the kids do with what they come up with. And it was really cool because beyond just kind of a simple explanation of what that object was, there was no formal training. You didn't have to sign up to come see me. You know, it was just, I have this thing, it does this, think about it. And what was so cool was it fit into the curriculum and really most of the work was on the kids to figure out how they wanted to make it work the way they wanted to. So... It's simple, and I think thinking of it as a simple way, a simple task, incorporating creation into teaching is a simple thing, not a big thing. And right. that makes it a lot easier to take on. Right, right, yes, to, to remember that it does not have to be super complicated. Right. Right. Once you, you know what's, what some options are, then just pull them in. That's I, great. Yeah. That is great. Okay. Um, let me see, because I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours about Thanks. all of this. <laughs> um, so real quick, um, before we wrap up, I do want you to talk a little bit about some of the positive responses that you've observed in students since you've added makerspace options for them. Okay. One thing I, I feel like I've at least kind of hinted at a little bit was some increased collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking about this knowing we were going to be talking about we talk about collaboration, we talk about collaboration. And I can remember back to probably year two or three of my teaching career. And, you know, I'd put kids in groups and I'd say, okay, this is what you guys are going to do. And you're going to make sure this happens and, you know, kind of assign roles because that was what I was told to do. Like, okay, you put them in groups and you assign them roles. And the groups got done but I can't say it was collaborative. Mm -hmm. It was four people sitting at an area together finishing tasks. But what I saw with kids in makerspace challenges was true collaborative learning. They entered the task with different amounts of knowledge. They struggled through tasks together. And at the end, they had both grown and they had learned from each other, and they learned from the other people in the room. And I can think of um, one boy who, again, I'd known him kindergarten through third grade, quiet, whispering kind of kid. Mm -hmm. And the excitement that he exhibited when his marble slide worked <laughs> was just amazing. I had never seen that kind of reaction from him in any other academic setting. And so to see like him talking and I could hear him and his partner could hear him and he was loud, but not in a bad way. <laughs> it was, it was really heartwarming to see that growth. And I think it really speaks for the fact that there's a lot of kids in our buildings who learn in lots of different ways. And we won't know unless we present that to them. 
Another one I will say is a, a little boy in second grade who was just terrible about turning in his work. And his teacher said, I have you down on my list to go to the makerspace today. I've signed up for it. I can send four kids. You're on my list to go. Please do your work so that you can go. And sure enough, that little boy turned in his work that day because he was so motivated to get into the space and get to use the stuff that was there. So, you know, not saying it should always be an enticement <laughs> to get work done, but it was cool to hear that that opportunity meant something to him. Right. It definitely speaks to the value that that, that space and the opportunity to explore in it had for that, that child. And really, I would say you for every child that 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 there's definitely that that buy-in and that intrinsic motivation to to create and to learn and explore and and that's what that's what those spaces can offer to to kids that's wonderful um any tips about getting started we kind i mean we've kind of hit uh touched on this a little bit just scavenge and salvage and you know there's donors choose in our district we have the foundation grants that come up a couple or once a year at least any other suggestions for or or essential items if somebody said i want to get started what what are the basics I think the basics are the scavenging because mm -hmm. you can do so much with that. So those found objects and I had people bringing me egg crates and their paper towel tubes and just everything. I, kind of, I put a list out in my building of things I was looking for. I, I also posted a list before summer vacation of things we would call toys, like the Lego type of things or connects and just said, Hey, if you find any of these at garage sales and you're willing to donate them to the school, we'd love to have them because, uh, you know, a fellow teacher said, you know, if I knew you wanted Legos and I was at a garage sale and someone's selling them, I would buy them there. Cause I would know they were cheaper and it would help you. So just not being afraid to ask your school community for small donations, you know, of, like I said, even those, objects that are just household objects. Um, I did originally explore bigger grants. <laughs> um, there are a lot of corporations and uh, groups out there who want to support makerspace learning. I would have gone down that route more had I not had the Bellevue Public Schools Foundation to support the goal for our, for our building. Um, I would have done more in searching for outside sources, but I, they're out there, but you do have to take the time to fill out the paperwork and, right. and all of that. So good suggestions though. Um, I do want to tell our listeners that Sarah and I are going to put together, haha, <laughs> I roped you into that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I, I would like to put some links and maybe a list to some oh, of the I have items some of those. that you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So when, when I write the blog post that will, that will um, be a description of this podcast episode, I'll make sure that those links are in there and that there's kind of a list of some of the thing, the names or the the brands or, sure. or items I, that, that yep. we threw out with some links so that people who are listening could go and kind of check those out. So Absolutely. Make sure. I have uh, my Amazon shopping list uh, still handy from all those things that I purchased. Perfect. So, yep. yep. So you can share that with me and we'll make sure to get that into the blog post. Sounds, sounds great. 
Sounds good. Well, I think we probably should wrap it up, but I really have appreciated talking to you. And I always like to end the podcast with two questions that I ask every person that I interview. And those two questions are, what is something new that you've learned recently? And what is something that you would like to learn? And neither of those have to be related to work. They can be, but I just, I'm kind of fascinated by just the idea that we're all lifelong learners. Absolutely. So however you want to answer that. Well, and I just want to say I support that too, because when I wasn't taking classes for my history degree or for my library degree, I didn't know what to do. So I went and took tap dancing classes because I had Ah, to, I had to have something I was working on. Um, that changed once I had kids. Um, but they're teaching me new things every day. So um, something I've learned recently actually is from one of my children. My eight-year-old daughter, she's in third grade, and they have chess club at her school. So we have this uh, chess set. She's working on chess. So she likes to play me because she knows she will beat me. Uh And I know nothing about chess, but I learned yesterday that when your pawn makes it all the way across the board, it gets promoted. And I didn't know that. And so all of a sudden, here I am already losing, and now she has two queens. Because you can promote your pawn to a queen once it goes across the board. And I said, you didn't tell me that. I would have done something about the pawn. She said, well, didn't you know that? I said, no, I did not. (laughs) So that was my new thing was your pawn can be promoted. And so what would I like to learn? I would like to learn how to better play chess. Because I'm tired of losing to an eight-year-old. That's awesome. And how fun for her that she got to teach mom something that mom didn't know. That's pretty great. There might have been some... I mean, she has beat me every single time we have played. And you're you're not just letting her win, I'm assuming. No, I am really (laughs) apparently that bad at chess. And I I don't like to be bad at at games. Well, so. I I have confidence that that you can learn more and probably beat her someday. I, I think I'm going to have to start watching YouTube videos or something. I got to yeah. teach myself. Lots of resources out there for you, Sarah. So, and you're awesome. very resourceful with research, I'm sure. So. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's been really, really great to visit with you, and it'll be fun to meet you in person sometime. Absolutely, that can happen. Yes. So thank you so much for participating in the podcast and maybe I will have you back sometime to pick your brain about more, more education, teacher nerd topics. Love it. Thank you so much, Laura. Yep. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Love to Learn podcast. I would love to connect with you elsewhere, so you can find me at my website, which is lauralovestolearn.com, on Facebook at Laura Loves to Learn, on Instagram at Laura Loves to Learn, and my Twitter handle is LearnLaura. Thanks again for listening, and remember, every day is a great day to learn something new. Thank you.